We are continuing this sermon series, Truth in Love. If truth is found in love, then we can't have one without the other. And maybe we've thought that I have to sacrifice love in order to stand for the truth. Or maybe we've thought at times I have to sacrifice being loving uh, or I have to sacrifice rather being truthful in order to be loving. But the reality is I can't be truly truthful without love and I can't be lovingly loving without truth. We can't have one without the other. Uh, One of the most brilliant minds, I believe, in uh, the, the recent history in Christendom is a theologian named John Stott. And he said this. He said, truth becomes hard if it's not softened by love. And love becomes soft if it's not strengthened by truth. That's a powerful perspective here that we're not sacrificing one for the sake of the other. The other, and we we've been wading into these difficult uh, conversations. We've been talking about what are considered controversial things, things where maybe people tell us you can't be loving and have an opinion about these things. You need to keep your truth to yourself. And we've also seen that some people are proclaiming truth in a really unloving way about some of these issues. But we just think that that if God's not silent, we shouldn't be silent either. And so we're going to continue to, to walk into yet again another maybe difficult conversation this morning to see what we believe is both truth and love within the heart of God. So I invite you please to grab your Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one underneath the seat in front of you today. Uh, and if you don't own a Bible, that is our gift to you. Please keep that. Um, and we invite you to join with us in our tradition. We uh, hold up our Bibles every Sunday morning and we say this creed together before we jump in. And before we say our creed this morning, thank you, Tim, for getting your, your Bible up that quick. But I got to tell you... I was sent a video early this morning from uh, our missionaries in Nigeria. We have an orphanage out of our church in Nigeria called A Place of Hope. And uh, the, the home church, Cornerstone Church, this morning uh, began to do our creed. They're now doing this every Sunday morning. And so I heard the beautiful Nigerian accent of our brothers and sisters uh, and, and our awesome kiddos over there. It was a really cool thing. So I just got to tell you, when it comes to this creed this morning, the bar is really high, so you better bring it. Because the cuteness overload was pretty killer already this morning. So let's do our best to keep up with that and say this together. The Bible is the Word of God. The truth of the Bible will change my life. Lord, open my heart and awaken my mind and give me grace to respond. Change me for your glory and my joy. Amen. Thank you so much. Please turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We're not actually going to dive into Ephesians chapter 5 for a few minutes, but go ahead and turn there and get ready. We'll jump in soon. Uh, we've been dealing with, with some, some difficult topics. Uh, we've dealt with topics like racial reconciliation and immigration and abortion and gun control and capital punishment. And, and we spent several weeks talking about uh, ideas around the issue of, of our sexual behavior. The idea of sexual sin and sexual purity. And and maybe you've walked out of here the last several weeks and thought to yourself, I need a drink. Well, that's actually what we're going to discuss this morning. We're going to discuss the topic of alcohol this morning. Uh, And in in my ten and a half years here at Temple, this is not an issue we've addressed here before. Uh, And it's a delicate topic because people love to take really, really extreme positions on this that maybe are are more extreme than what the scriptures are. Now, this is a very appropriate topic for us to deal with right here on this piece of real estate. Because for years, this exit was known as the alcohol exit. 
the cities north of us uh, were dry, and so you had to drive to the Randall Mill 820 exit to get alcohol, right, to get liquor. And, and for, for then, years after that, they were no longer dry counties. They were what I think are called blue uh, uh, municipalities where uh, you could buy liquor any day of the week except Sunday, which is interesting. I don't really understand that. But So you still had to drive to this exit on Sundays, uh, not so much to come to church here, but to, to get your alcohol here. And, uh, and since all that has changed now, most there used to be five uh, liquor stores here, and then there was only one, and now there's just gas stations and, and that one liquor store that, that survived uh, that. Um, so it's appropriate that here we would deal with this topic of all places in the Metroplex, uh, certainly here at the alcohol exit. We should be having this conversation, right? And, and we're going to try to, to, to deal with, I, I believe there are at least four positions about the topic of alcohol among Christendom, okay? And, and this is not uh, scientific data. I'm not going to give research about these four positions. So you're allowed to disagree with these four positions. That's fine. Uh, but I believe there's, a, there's if, if we uh, whittle it down to simplicity, four positions. The, the first position is, is the position of prohibition, the, the teetotaler position that says alcohol is always sinful to consume in any amount. And that's how I was raised. I was raised that truly alcohol is an inherently evil and corrupt substance and that to have any drink is a sin. And I'm curious, how many of you were raised the same way? Can we have a show of hands? How many of you were raised that any drop of alcohol is a sin? Okay. Wow, fewer than I expected. That's interesting. A second position is what we would use the language of abstain, that, that believers choose to abstain. They would say the scriptures don't teach that all alcohol is sinful, but the uh, tendencies towards drunkenness are dangerous enough that even though uh, it doesn't say it's always sinful, we choose as a family or as a believer to abstain from alcohol. Um, that, that would be a second position. A third possession, uh, position that many in the church would take today is that of moderation. They would say, no, we don't believe it's inherently evil substance. And just because some people abuse it doesn't mean I have to abstain from it. And so I believe in taking a, a moderation position. And the majority of evangelicals today would take a moderation uh, position. Very, very few are, are taking an abstinence or um, a, a teetotaler position. And then there's a fourth position that, that I don't hear necessarily from the platform or from the pulpit a lot in, in America. But there's a, a widespread uh, a view that I would call unrestrained. That would say we live in the, the, the day of grace or in the age of grace, and so I can do whatever I want. God doesn't care. Well, I'm no longer under the law and any of the, thing, any of the, the boundaries that the Scriptures put around alcohol. I mean, that's, that's law, and I'm free in Jesus now, so let's just go crazy with this. And so, uh, again, I don't hear necessarily theologians arguing for that position at all. Uh, but we're going to deal with, first, the two extreme positions, and then we're going to come to the two middle positions. So um, the all alcohol is sinful, um, that, that it's not necessarily sinful, but it can lead to sin, so I choose to abstain, um, I choose to partake in moderation, or it's none of your business, I'm going to do whatever I want, right? So let's deal with those issues. The first one, we're going to deal with this first category by asking the question, is having a drink bad? Is having a drink bad? And by bad, I mean sinful. Is having a drink a sin? Is having a beer or having a glass of wine a sin? Is an inherently an evil substance? And if I drink a second sip, is hell going to split open wide beneath my feet and swallow me whole? Which is how some of us in this room were raised, that, that having a, a drink of alcohol is bad. And what we're going to do with this position is we're first going to start with the culture's opinion of this position, which I think you know where that's going. And then we're going to look at the Scripture's position of this, is all alcohol a sin? 
when we look at the culture, we find that actually in movies and in television, that it's actually the coolest people who are always having a drink. And seldom is ever the hero in the story having too much to drink, falling over, throwing up, making a fool of himself. Uh, they're just sitting there cool, pouring themselves a little... Uh, a little you know, glass of scotch, and it's just a cool thing, right? And so we see that the culture celebrates this. When we look at just the slogans of uh, companies who are marketing and selling alcohol, it sounds pretty amazing. Enjoy the high life. Who doesn't want to enjoy the high life? And, and by that, we're not talking about getting high. That's next week's talk. Um, just clarifying. The adventure starts here. Well, I want to go there. Adventure, that sounds great. Find your beach. Listen, the temperatures are about to drop this week. I want to find a beach. The happiest hour on earth. As a pastor, I find that so offensive. Great times are coming. This one's interesting. Always worth it. A shot of adventure. And the reality is those slogans have been very successful. Because we drink a lot of alcohol as Americans. The most recent set of statistics revealed by the National Survey on Drug Use and Health. Interesting that alcohol consumption is revealed in the National Survey on Drug Use. But anyways. 86.3% of people ages 18 years or older report that they've had a drink at some point in time in life. That is a profound... Here's the thing. I kept thinking as I'm looking at these huge numbers and stats, if you're a statistician, you never see numbers this big. But for sure, in today's climate in the U.S., there's not that many of us that agree on anything today. (laughs) Right? 86... That's profound. Right? And maybe you would say, well, yeah, they're saying they had a drink. So maybe one time they took a sip. Okay. 70.1% say they've had a drink in the last 12 months. Right? This isn't people saying, oh, I I one time had a drink. 70.1% said they've had a drink in the past year. Like, yeah, but that's just in the last year. And they had it once. Maybe it was they were at a wedding. Over 55% said they've had a drink in the last 30 days. 55% of Americans said they have had a drink in the past month. That's an enormous statistic. If you look at any statistics about anything, you seldom see percentages this high, this frequent. So all I'm saying is, we drink a lot. So what does God's Word say? God's Word says, if thou hast a drink of alcohol, thou shalt surely die. It's actually not what it says. It's, It's how I was raised to think. But the scriptures say some confusing things. As Isaac is speaking a blessing over Jacob in Genesis 27, 28, he says, May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness. That sounds great. An abundance of grain and new wine. And just in case you see the words new wine and you think that means grape juice, because that's how I was taught growing up. Here's the thing. There's not a single respected Hebrew or Greek scholar who believe that when the Bible says wine, it means Welch's. That came across way more sarcastic than I meant for it to. I'm sorry. Now, it can sometimes mean an unfermented wine. Sometimes. Very, very seldom. So this is a reference to 
Like, I'm speaking a blessing over my son that he'll have plenty of new wine. In Judges 9, should I give up my wine which cheers both gods and humans? Okay. In Psalm 104, speaking to God, you cause wine to gladden the heart of man. Not in my house growing up. In Paul's instruction to his protege Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 5, No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. Now, it does say little wine. He didn't say a bottle of wine per night for your stomach. And, and we're kind of left, I think, with this question, right? You remember in the 90s, everybody was wearing the WWJD bracelets, right? This morning I would pose that question, what would Jesus drink, right? And what we see is Jesus' first miracle is not raising the dead. It's not healing the sick. It's not feeding the starving. It's not rescuing the vulnerable. His first miracle is turning water into wine. And again, growing up, I was told, yes, that's amazing. He made gra- uh, grapes pop into this water. That's great. No, this is clearly, there's not a single respected Greek scholar who doesn't believe that this was fermented wine. As a matter of fact, the guests say to the host of the party in John chapter 2, everyone serves the good wine first, and then when people have drunk freely and can't tell the difference, then the poor wine But you have kept the good wine until now. And I would ask, how is there such a thing as good grape juice and bad grape juice? This is a reference to high quality top shelf wine versus poor wine. As a matter of fact, Jesus is accused of being a drunk. Which we believe was a false accusation because Jesus never sinned. But he obviously consumed enough wine publicly that people thought he had a problem. Now, the wine in the Bible had a much lower alcohol content than wine today, according to historians way smarter than me. And most historians believe that typically wine was very watered down. Significantly watered down. So we aren't talking the exact same thing as what you would order at a restaurant today. But we also can't lie in order to make the scriptures fit our position. Clearly, when we look at the question, is having a drink bad? I don't think that the screaming answer from the scriptures is, absolutely, it's always a sin. And that might offend you today if that's how you were raised or if that's what you wish that I would say. But I believe that the truth of the scriptures is what's most important. The scriptures, I don't believe, teach that alcohol is an inherently evil substance. The fact that I believe that is something that I disclosed to our pastor search committee before they hired me, in case you're wondering, how did this heretic become a Baptist preacher? I don't believe the scriptures teach that all alcohol is a sin. The second question is not having, is having a drink bad, it's, is getting drunk bad? And with, with the admitted gray in the first question, Is having a drink bad? I just don't think the scriptures reveal yes. There's no fuzzy answer when it comes to this question. The scriptures are unequivocally clear. Drunkenness is always a sin. Always. Now we look first to our text, but I'd ask you to keep your spot there because we will come back to this passage later. But Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine. 
for that is debauchery. It's such an awesome word. And really, the idea here is not just that that is debauchery. There's, a, there's momentum in, in the original text here. As a matter of fact, many translations say that leads to debauchery. Meaning, getting drunk is not just a violation of scriptural teaching. Getting drunk also leads to other things that are counter to what the scriptures teach. Does that make sense? So drunkenness is not just a sin according to the scriptures. The stuff that we tend to do when we're drunk also tend to be sins according to the scriptures. And here's the beautiful contrast. But be filled with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So the the contrast here the Apostle Paul is using is in the way that the Holy Spirit fills us, meaning we live different, we talk different, we make different decisions, we see life differently, we behave differently, we walk differently. Matter of fact, the whole language of Ephesians chapter 5 is to walk in love, to walk in wisdom, to walk in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. So there's this idea that when I'm filled with the Spirit, I behave differently. In contrast to when I'm filled with alcohol, I walk differently and think differently and see the world differently and make decisions differently. The Scriptures teach that clearly, I believe, drunkenness is a sin and always is. Proverbs chapter 20 says, Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and who, whoever is led astray by it is not wise. And again, we have this idea of leading, right? This idea that if you're controlled, you're influenced. You're under the influence of something other than the Holy Spirit of God. It's not God's plan. In Proverbs chapter 23, do not, I love this word, carouse. Where are you going? I'm going out carousing today. Like, do not carouse with drunkards or feast with gluttons. This is New Living Translation speaking here. This idea that I'm not even supposed to hang out with people, intentionally hang out with people that I know are going to abuse alcohol. And there's several things I like about this verse. I like that it, it con- when I say like, I also hate, <laughs> that it contrasts drunkenness with gluttony. Because I heard a lot of sermons about drunkenness growing up from people who didn't preach about gluttony. And the reality is that's a great analogy because I believe that that what we tend to do as human beings is we take a good gift from the Lord and we tend to abuse it. Just like with gluttony. We tend to take a good gift from the Lord, a glass of wine, And we tend to abuse it when we are unrestrained, when we are not filled with the Spirit. That's the human tendency, is to distort the good gifts of God. And and, and so I think this is healthy, but we got to define drunkenness, right? According to all 50 states in the U.S., driving drunk means you have a blood alcohol concentration of 0.08% or higher, right? But in biblical times, they had no understanding of blood alcohol concentration. So when they said drunkard, what did they mean in the Bible? The reality is it was something that was observable. Not something where you had a breathalyzer or a blood test or urine sample. Their idea of drunkenness was it was visible that someone is altered. It was observable. That's a better word. It was observable that we were in an altered state. And that definition then passed down orally from one generation to the next. And that's still the case today. If, if you go to dictionary.com, the definition for being drunk is this. Being in a temporary state in which one's physical and mental faculties are impaired by an excess of alcoholic drink. 
that idea of being impaired, that, that I'm not being controlled by the Holy Spirit, but something else is in control of my mental and physical uh, 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 faculties. Merriam-Webster uh, uh, simplifies that definition, having the faculties impaired by alcohol. That idea that observably, maybe not to myself, but observably, I'm impaired. I, I have an altered mental state. I'm not in control anymore. I'm under the influence, right? Matter of fact, that's, that's, that's legally what we call it, a, a DUI, a driving under the influence, or DWI, driving while intoxicated, that, that there's something in control of me other than me. And that's never God's intention. So the question, is, is getting drunk bad? I believe the answer unequivocally from, from Scripture is yes, always. And do you know why? Because God loves us. Again and again, we, we've looked at Genesis 127 throughout this series that God created us and placed his image on us. As the image bearers of God, he wants what's best for us. And he knows that us not being in control of us isn't best for us. He knows that us being unrestrained isn't best for us. He wants to keep us from harm. He's not saying don't get drunk with wine because you might have too much fun. He's not saying don't get drunk because you might enjoy the high life and I want you to live the low life. He's saying, don't get drunk with with wine because I love you and I want what's best for you. And and a big difference between drunkenness and gluttony is gluttony's not destroyed many households or killed people for getting behind the wheel after eating a cheeseburger. He loves us and is seeking to guard us from harm. The scriptures are full of crystal clear teaching. That drunkenness is always bad. I mentioned uh, being filled with the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, we have the list of, the description rather, of the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, before the fruit of the Spirit, he lists the works of the flesh. And one of those is drunkenness. The opposite of filling with the Spirit. Now, we say this in love, right? Matter of fact, many of the sermons I heard about alcohol growing up were really unloving. When the first description of the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. Alcohol is bad. That's not very joyful, right? We can approach this topic in a loving way and still say, that's a work of the flesh. Drunkenness is always against the will of God. In Luke chapter 21, Jesus warns his followers not to get drunk. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells the church at Corinth not even to associate with someone who's prone to drinking too much. Now, I don't think he means shun somebody who's struggling with drinking too much. I believe that's someone who's saying, hey, I drink too much and don't care, and you're not the boss of me, and I'm not going to get help for this. Not to lovingly come alongside someone who's struggling. In, in 1 Timothy, in the same letter where he tells Timothy to drink a little bit of wine, he also lists the qualifications for an ordained minister, for uh, an ordained elder. Also, qualifications are listed in the letter to Titus. And in there, a disqualifier for gospel ministry is drinking too much. Now, I do need to pause here and say, many Christians have said, therefore, a minister shouldn't be allowed to drink, but I can. The, the disqualification is drinking too much. And I think if we're inconsistent about those qualifications, for instance, if you were to go into a restaurant today and you were to see one of your friends from church having a glass of wine with lunch, I would ask you this question and not ask you to respond verbally, would that bother you? 
if you walked into the same restaurant today and you saw me having a glass of wine with lunch, would that bother you? If your answer wasn't the same for both questions, I would challenge you to examine your heart. Moving on. In Isaiah chapter 5, God warns those who are heroes at drinking. I love that phrase, right? Like, what are you a hero at? Drinking. <laughs> Sorry. And pro- further, the prophet Isaiah, um, he calls excessive drinking an evil. And in Proverbs 23, those who linger over wine will find all kinds of woe, sorrow, and trouble. Is having a drink bad? I don't think that's what the scriptures say. But is getting drunk bad? Always yes. Here's what I think is a better question. And now we come to these middle two positions. So I don't believe alcohol is inherently evil substance, but I don't think just because we live in a day of grace means we can abuse our bodies. These middle two positions, the one that says, I don't think it's a sin, but I choose not to, or I choose to in moderation. Let's come to that conversation by asking the question, is having a drink best? Not is is having a drink bad, is having a drink best? And we look again to the context here of Ephesians chapter 5, and we look at verse 8. At one time, you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord Walk as children of light. Again, he begins this chapter, walk in love. And uh, uh, down in verse 15, he says, walk in wisdom. Here he's saying, walk in light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And here's the heartbeat of what I want to say this morning. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. What's most pleasing to the Lord? I actually think the conversation about alcohol is just like the conversation about everything else where the scriptures aren't crazy clear. Seek to please the Lord, not yourself. Also, don't seek to please anybody else. You're not going to stand before anybody else's throne one day and give an answer for whether or not you had a glass of wine with dinner. So making that decision is not about pleasing people. It's about pleasing the Lord. And if you believe in your spirit that your conscience is clear, having a glass of wine, you don't think is displeasing to the Lord, then I want to encourage you to walk in that liberty. Now, I think you've got to ask yourself, what about the second and third and fourth and tenth glass? And I think you've got to ask yourself, do I have the ability to have one glass of wine and not have a seventh glass? Because for some of us, the the distance between a first glass and... And a seventh class is really short. This is the same concept that we see in one of my favorite passages of scriptures in Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12 says, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, meaning our life is accountable. And so it's not just what I do is nobody else's business, by the way. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin. See those two distinctives. Sin and stuff that slows us down, which clings so closely And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
this idea that because I'm chasing after Jesus, I lay down stuff that is sinful, but I also lay down stuff that isn't best. I lay down stuff that slows me down. And maybe for you, you would say, man, alcohol is a temptation for me. It's hard for me to only have one drink. And so maybe this is something that I need to make the personal choice to abstain from. Maybe you would say, I have a family history of alcoholism, and it's best for me to totally abstain. Or maybe you would say, this is something I'm only going to partake of in moderation. But I honestly think those are the only two positions we can land on biblically. To choose to abstain... Or to only drink in moderation. Which means I'm not taking a conservative enough position for many of the conservatives in the room. But I'm taking too strict of a position for those who want to drink whatever they want. So I've offended everybody this morning. Because at the end of the day I don't think it's about us. It's about pleasing the Lord. And it's about loving one another well. In Romans 14, 21, it's not good to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. We live in a day of rampant alcoholism. And here's the thing about addiction. I believe it's the people of God who are called to enter into the life of an addict and love them and support them and walk with them towards freedom. And so if my having a glass of wine causes somebody I'm trying to love well to stumble, then what am I missing out by saying, no thanks, I'm good? What am I really missing? I love the New Living Translation of 1 Corinthians 6.12. You say, I'm allowed to do anything. And I totally just see the hands on it. I can do whatever I want. But not everything is good for you. Okay, you're free in Christ, but we can still have wisdom. We can still choose what's best. And even though I'm allowed to do anything, I must not become a slave to anything. And man, I think that's where we really park this conversation about alcohol. Maybe you can say, I have the freedom to have a drink, but we live in a culture that is enslaved profoundly enslaved to be honest with you i don't hear many people talking about it i think we're ignoring some of the most necessary conversations in our culture today and one of those is our abuse of alcohol we have historic rates of depression but nobody's tying that to we're also consuming more alcohol than any civilization in recorded history it's a downer 30% of Americans have had an alcohol use disorder. Labeled a disorder, like out of control, 30% of Americans, almost a third, have had an issue with alcohol that has reached the realm of disorder. I think that's alarming. Alcohol problems affect about 33 million adults in the U.S., This is not an isolated, behind-closed-doors kind of thing. Danny Aiken says one in three American families suspect that at least one of their family members has a drinking problem. One out of every three houses you will pass when you pull into your neighborhood today. There's somebody in that house afraid that they've got a loved one 
whose drinking is out of control. And I get that life is hard, man. I, I get that sometimes we just need a break from reality. I get that sometimes we just need to catch our breath. I just think all of that's found in Jesus. He's the only true mediator. I, I read this quote. I thought it was so profound. It said, people who drink to drown their sorrow should be told that sorrow knows how to swim. We might drink to drown our sorrow, but then when we sober up, we realize that the sorrow is still there. There's only one who really bears our griefs and carries our sorrows. It's the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. He loves you. He doesn't want you to medicate your pain. He wants you to be healed. He wants you to be free. He wants you to flourish. But it's not just adults. In research over a 12-month stretch, 58% of 12th graders used alcohol. 58%. P.S. It's illegal to buy alcohol in all 50 states below the age of 21. Now, in many states, it's not illegal for a kid to drink as long as their parents gave it to them. That might surprise you. Texas is one of those states. That doesn't mean it's wise. Among college students, 79% of college students reported drinking alcohol, and 35% reported binge drinking, which has a host of psychological, mental health, and physical effects. 35%. An estimated 88,000, there's a typo on that screen, sorry. An estimated 88,000. That, was, that six was the reference for where that um, came from. People die from alcohol-related causes every year. It's the third leasing, leading cause of preventable death in the U.S. So is it best? Interestingly, the, I said it's the third leasing, leading cause. The first leading cause is tobacco. And we have people aggressively saying, hey, tobacco's bad for you. It kills. The warning labels are like... If you drink this, you're going to die instantly, right? The second leading cause of death, overeating and lack of exercise. Moving on. (laughs) Alcohol-impaired driving fatalities account for nearly 10,000 deaths a year. Over 30% of driving fatalities involve alcohol. If you see the interstate shut down and you can tell all that was a fatality, 30% of the time alcohol was involved. And then I think this is interesting. Teen alcohol use kills 4,700 teens every year. That's more than all illegal drugs combined. So is it best? I don't know. I think you've got to answer that before the Lord and for your household. But I think we end with that CDC stat about teens dying. Because this isn't just a decision for us. It is about what the next generation is seeing in us. And what they see in the culture is unrestrained abuse. And maybe from the people of God they should see healthy wisdom. (laughs) 
alcohol is not a necessity of life, and it's not an evidence of being a cool Christian. And I just want to push back on that really strong, because that is kind of the modern narrative among the hip church today. I've been out to eat with other pastors who are annoyed that I choose to not have a beer with them. Like they look down at me like, what, you're not cool? I thought your church wasn't legalistic. And really what's happened is freedom has become legalistic. I'm now judging other people for not having my same freedom. That's not freedom. I do believe that this is an issue of freedom. And I think you can have the freedom to not drink. Why is freedom only talked about in the abuse of something or the use of something? Freedom also can be, this doesn't, this is a necessity for my life. I personally spend too much time every week sitting with people who are in bondage to addiction. By the way, and I have a family history of addiction. And I'm prone towards addictive behaviors. I don't trust me. I trust the Lord. But I don't trust me. And so I don't think it's a sin for somebody to have a glass of wine. But I'm going to stay in my own lane and decide what's best for me and my family. And and I would say that. I just encourage you, don't be so judgy. This isn't super clear, right? And, And I've said this a few weeks ago when we were talking about some other topics. We love the extremes because we don't want to have to actually think through difficult issues. And maybe you want me to tell you, you shouldn't ever have a drink. But I think you're filled with the Holy Spirit of God. He's going to help you figure that out on your own. Now, I believe the only other position that a true Christ follower can, can truly have is that of, of moderation. But I think you'll answer the Lord for that. And I think what somebody else chooses to do is between them and the Lord. I had somebody ask me, why do you think so many people at Temple have started drinking since you got here? I said, what do you mean? They said, well, before you got here, nobody put pictures of their drinks on Facebook, and now they do. I said, man, I don't think anybody's drinking more than they used to. Hopefully people are just more real. They're more honest about it. And here's the thing. Hopefully we're staying in our own lanes when it comes to that. Now, if we see a brother or sister in Christ who's part of our family that we see abusing alcohol, I believe we have a God-ordained calling as a family of God to enter into that and lovingly say, I think you're drunk. I think you're battling with alcohol. I love you too much to go down this road. And here's the thing. They might tell you that they don't want your input. But I think that's what family does. We come alongside this issue knowing that at the end of the day we'll only answer to the Lord. We love to run to the extremes, especially the extreme that says, no, I just want to tell my kids that alcohol is always a sin. Here's the problem. They might encounter somebody who's really studied the scriptures on the issue, and we'll have lost our credibility with them. While it's easy to run to the extremes, let's have the healthy conversations in the middle. John Stone Street said, by the way, and he agrees with my position that the Bible never condones drunkenness, but it also never condemns drinking. He said this, when Christians see something abused, we often resort to wholesale condemnation of the thing rather than promoting the proper use of the thing. And I would just promote for moderation or abstaining because God wants what's best for us. 
He wants us to be filled with the Holy Spirit and to not be enslaved, but to be free as the men and women of God. That freedom begins by knowing we have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and by chasing after Jesus like we talked about in Hebrews chapter 12. And maybe instead of running from our pain to a bottle, we should run to our Savior with our pain. 